You've seen the movies. But you haven't read the comics? What? You think the comics are inaccessible? That's Steve Vinson. That's Paul Schultz. And we've got issues. By definition, a hero is a man who battles against overwhelming odds for a cause, an ideal, or for the lives of innocents. The cause and ideal may vary with the morning headlines, while the innocents, in today's world of muddy morality, may ultimately prove to be the guilty. Which leaves but one constant in the definition, that a hero is, above all, a man. A man subject to the pressures and responsibilities far beyond those of his peers. Such is a burden that must take its toll, eventually, from even the most valiant warrior. And it is then that the test of a true hero begins. That's the introduction to issue 128 of Iron Man, Demon in a Bottle. Yeah, the last chapter of the saga, yes. Which, um, there is no there is no villain other than the bottle. That was the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> the, real, the real villain is the bottle. Even though, you know, Justin Hammer's trying to take over his business and Nick Fury's trying, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s trying to take over his business and... Yeah, <laughs> the real, and then the battle royale that happens in the issue before isn't the finale. <laughs> you know, no wonder these movies are so popular now. Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea of what we're dealing with today in today's world mm-hmm. is the uh, the Facebook warriors yeah. of today, <laughs> the, the social media warriors, the SMWs of today. Make it seem like everything's black and white. The bad guys and the good guys. It's the terrorists. We got to beat the terrorists, and they're all Muslim, and Muslims hate us and want to kill us all of us, and that's the enemy. And also, the enemy is people that you know want to blur gender lines, and you know don't want the traditional roles, and that that's the enemy too. And also, socialists, and also, and like, just the whole everybody who thinks they've got it all figured out have no idea that the real battle is when is is the battle within and the the battle that may you have to you have to find strength in others mm-hmm. i know i'm starting at the end but that last uh issue is <laughs> is like you you look at it and they do such a good job of you know the woman comes to try to save him from the bottle mm-hmm. and he has to in the parlance of the modern social media warrior he has to show weakness in front of her, which takes a ton of strength because how easy and weak would it be to just be like, screw you. I'm, you know, I'm just, there are plenty of pretty women in this town. I'm taking a drink because that's what I want right now. And, but instead he, he asked for help and asking for help is the most courageous, hardest, strongest thing a man can do. Strong enough to be weak. So, uh, the invincible Iron Man. Issues 120 through 128. Why did you pick this one? The reason why I picked this one is I did a survey a while back of my non-comic book friends and asked them who is the most popular superhero there is. And it was almost unanimous. Iron Man. Because of the movies. Because of Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Iron Man. So I thought, I gotta find a good Iron Man story for this series. And instantly, 
I'm like, demon in a bottle. It's the it's the, the seminal Iron Man story. It's the one everybody refers to. It plays in so it plays in the movies because in the second Iron Man movie he's dealing with all these pressures and he, he puts on his suit and there's a him and Brody have this you know brawl in his in his apartment during a party and so it's it's permeated everything in Iron Man since this came out because up until this point you know you because Tony Stark was a playboy and you always saw him with a glass in his hand and nobody ever thought anything of it. And when they, I always have a hard time pronouncing the guy's name, but Dave Michelini or Dave Michelini, depending on how you want to pronounce him, him and Bob Layton got together and hashed out this idea for a storyline that like subtly builds up and kind of sneaks by you. And the real villain in this is, of course, his drinking problem. So that's real world stuff that a lot of people have to deal with. And being as the idea for this series was accessible comic book stories, <laughs> there's nothing more accessible than that. Boy, that's for sure. <laughs> it's it, the progression is great in the and just the order that we're going in here mm-hmm. is is really awesome because I'm not sure that many people can relate these days to LSD addiction, right? <laughs> which I'm not even sure is a thing. <laughs> But this one hits for anybody our age, I think, or or even between our age and down, even down to you know mid twenties, thirties, can certainly relate to what Iron Man or what Tony Stark's going through in this. You know, mm-hmm. Every, we all have pressures in our lives. Yeah, this just seemed like a no brainer if you think about it, because yeah. Tony Stark not only is he a you know a millionaire industrialist inventor who runs an entire company, but <laughs> His company is being bought out from underneath him. So he's got those pressures. Yeah. He's got relationship pressures. He's got the pressures of being Iron Man. You know, yeah. <laughs> any normal person would crack. But Tony's, of course, a superhero, and superheroes don't crack easy. But when they do crack, <laughs> they just they shatter. So what's the year uh, of this story? 1979, roughly. It's pretty awesome because... You know the way Tony Stark is drawn is mm-hmm. the the ideal man of the of the '70s. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. He With, was Tom Selleck. Exactly, Tom Selleck, <laughs> Charles Bronson. You know, like if it were today, he'd be like The Rock or Jason Statham or yeah, uh, I guess uh, Robert Downey Jr. He Jr. kind of changed everything because up until this point in comics, he looked like that. He looked like Magnum. But when uh, Downey Jr. took over as the cinematic Iron Man, it it changed all across the mediums. The, f- the funny thing about Robert Downey Jr. is when I saw Endgame, I was like, wow, Robert Downey Jr. is looking old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think if they re- like if they started today with the with the movies, yeah, I think he would look different. I don't think they'd pick Robert Downey Jr. I think they would pick a bald, <laughs> you know, square jawed. Bald is definitely in now, so he'd be bald. Well, bald never goes out. Comics tend to be just a few years behind trends. So uh, even in 79, you'll see like you'll, you'll see guys in these comics still wearing bell bottoms and vests and puffy oh, yeah. shirts. It's also the mustache. Like, mustaches aren't really in now. It's goatees or beards. No mustaches. And initially, he had the uh, the Howard Hughes pencil mustache. Oh, funny. Because he was, he was somewhere between Howard Hughes and James Bond was the idea i think all right so this one starts out he's flying on a plane 
there's there's an old couple. <laughs> it's the stereotypical 1960s old couple because she's <laughs> even wearing the wingtip glasses. Yeah, needs a little chain on them. <laughs> the dude's razzing her about her diet pills, and I'm like. Yeah. Dude, between 1950 and 1970-something, every housewife was on something. You know what those diet pills were, don't you? That, like amphetamines. Yes. <laughs> the same, the same quote-unquote vitamin we gave to pilots during World War II. Yeah. That we just started watching Bewitched because, you know, there's so much good modern TV out that we have to go back and watch stuff from our childhood. <laughs> hey, Bewitched is great, though. But in the in one of the first episodes of the first season, like when they first move in next to the Kravitzes, mm-hmm. um, the old man old man Kravitz, like of course she's seeing stuff like she does throughout the series, yeah. Like, and he doesn't believe her, and he's talking to her about her medicine. He's like, "You should take some of your medicine. <laughs> it's like this syrup, and I'm sure it's like meth laden." cough syrup or something <laughs> laudanum and <laughs> how terrible was life for women back in the 60s and 70s that they i don't know up, man. with them drugs <laughs> not too bad i don't think <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway so somebody chucks a tank at the plane that he's flying <laughs> and it goes down and he ends up on this island where the where an evil oil company is dumping toxic waste mm. i love the that I think it was a two issue arc, maybe. There's some old dude living on the island. Yeah, the first two issues. Because he and his wife got tired of the rat race, and it was like that Joaquin Phoenix movie, The Village. But anyway, it was like that where they got mm-hmm. tired of the modern rat race, and they just found a an uncharted island and built a cabin on it. Mm-hmm. And then the, these evil industrialists are dumping toxic waste because there happens to be. I was surprised. Vibranium, yeah, in this thing, which would totally change like the economic balance of the world. So of course, all evil people want some. Sure, but the island ends up blowing up uh, <laughs> under the force of the whatever. The evil oil company blows it up because if they can't have it, nobody will. Plus, it destroyed all the evidence that they were connected with the with whatever was going on. <laughs> Fl- flooding the ocean with all the hazardous chemicals. But the reason I point all that out is because mm-hmm. it almost like if you're not paying attention, seems like a minor plot point. You're like, oh, OK, some comic book you know, island blows up. Right. Mm-hmm. But the way this old dude reacts. Yeah. Tells you everything. And it just starts the arc of Iron Man, Tony Stark wondering what's it all for. Yep. Because this guy, you know, he buried his wife on this island. She died, you know, years ago. Yeah. He buried her there and he said, you know, I didn't feel empty. I was sad, but not empty because I knew this is where she wanted to be. Right. And who knows how she died? Maybe like the flu or something. Or being poisoned by toxic chemicals. Well, that could be. <laughs> that could be. You know, moving to a, an uncharted island seems great until somebody stubs their toe and gets gang green. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so the the point being, you know, he's a playboy, millionaire playboy, and not knowing the history, if that's all he ever was, like a millionaire playboy who also was Iron Man, then maybe he never gave it a thought. Maybe he thought life was about like, just, you know, gallivanting around the world. Speaking of history, though, the other reasons why I suggested this storyline is because smack dab in the middle of it all you get his origin story yep i know you've in the past you've like asked me about characters and i've had to explain them but in this case i don't have to explain it because it's all there you know what's awesome and this is the origin story is almost exactly the same as what they did in the movie it's barely changed other than the fact that jensen 
wasn't Asian. It's the enemy of the day, right? Yeah. It was in the middle of a war. Mm -hmm. It was the Vietnam War because that's the war that was going on, or yeah. at least that had just ended. Right. Of course, the movie is going to be about terrorists in the Middle East, right? Yeah. And in his initial very first appearance, it was Korea. Oh, wow. Comics tend to do that every couple of years. They reinvent themselves to keep themselves timely, I guess. In case you haven't seen the movie or read the comic, you know, he's in Vietnam to help with weapons development, mm -hmm. gets injured and captured, and the bad guys want him to build weapons for them. Mm -hmm. And they're like, here, we'll give you this other prisoner to help you, which is, I mean, that's always a bad idea. <laughs> We're going to give you another prisoner, and the two of you, you build weapons for us, not a weapon that you could use to escape. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so he, of course, builds the Iron Man. Well, oh, and it, right down to the shrapnel in his chest. Right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when it was a question, when it was in Korea, or the first, you know, the first time, it, was it shrapnel in his chest, and he had to build a way to keep the shrapnel from getting to his heart? He used uh, magnets to keep it in place, basically. Nice. They were just kind of like stuck there and... If you moved around or whatever, they're going to whittle themselves into his heart was the idea. What's, which is exactly what they did here and what they did in the movie. Mm -hmm. Not to get too deep, but it makes it an interesting thing because he's not just playing dress up. Right. This technology is what keeps him alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course he doesn't have to dress up like Iron Man and, and be a hero, but he's being kept alive by the technology. So if he, he can't walk away from the technology. Well, as a little bit of an aside, what I liked about that, okay, in the movie, he could have just walked away, you know, after he got away. But basically, the death of Jensen, oh, yeah. he felt he owed Jensen and people who suffered from his own weapons and whatnot something. So that's why he became the hero and stopped doing weapons testing and all that. What didn't make an impression, I mean, was, was the guy that helped him in the movie actually a prisoner of the terrorists? Or was he just some guy that they said here, you know? No, he was a prisoner. His his uh, family was killed by the terrorists. Okay. And because he was a mechanical genius, they kept him to help make weapons. And Yeah, so there's that, that whole, like, not it's not just the, here's how the technology got invented, but here's why he decided to start helping people with his technology. Yeah. So flash back forward to present day, which is late 70s, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Once the island blew up and they captured the, the bad guys, even though they can't prove that the bad guys were the bad guys, mm -hmm. he's flying back to New York. That's when they do the origin story. It's like him thinking back on his origin story. Yeah. And while he's flying back, his, his armor starts to malfunction. And just these periodic malfunctions and and even through the the island incident some weird things are going on and mm -hmm. you get these smash cuts to justin hammer saying phase one is complete phase two is complete <laughs> and these are all we figure out tests of whether he can manipulate iron man's armor from a distance with his supercomputer that his lackey built. One of the geniuses of this story is this was this was in a time in Marvel's history where they weren't allowed to write more than two episode stories. Oh wow! And there's no way you can develop a decent three act play in two issues. So uh, Dave Michelini got really crafty <laughs> with how he tells these two issue stories, but he underlays all this other stuff. It's like we've talked in the past. I think on our other shows mm -hmm. about how there are multiple arcs in a story there's an overall arc mm -hmm. and then there are arcs like especially multiple episodes i think we were talking about this with stranger things like there's an arc that goes the entire season mm -hmm. there's also an arc that goes the entire series yeah and then within a season each episode has an arc 
And there's multiple arcs within the season that go multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does. I mean, he's like, okay, you want me to wrap up a story arc in two issues? I can do that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I won't start a new arc yeah. that's going to go four issues, you know, that wraps up, you know, six issues from now. You mm-hmm. know. Um, okay, this Miss Arbogast. Mm-hmm. Is that supposed to be what's her name in the movies? Oh, Pepper Potts? No, Pepper Potts is Pepper Potts. By this time, she's not in the story anymore, but she was the love triangle character. She was his secretary. She had the hots for him. Hated Iron Man, but loved Tony Stark. And then yeah. uh, Happy Hogan, who's John Favreau in the in the movies, was in love with Pepper. So it was this whole triangle thing. I, I was hoping Mrs. Arbogast would have made it in the movies, but they prudently went with Pepper Potts instead because it was a little yeah. more believable so beth cabe bethany cabe yeah she's kind of a hero i mean she's a bodyguard yes does she have at some point do they bring her back with superpowers or anything for the listeners bethany cabe is a bodyguard who shows up with Rhodey, who is the pilot mm-hmm. i think he's the don Cheadle character right yes he shows up early in this story arc as does bethany cabe but nobody really knows who she is but they figure out she's a bodyguard right for a security firm and she's of course hot and becomes a romantic interest. Yeah, there's an addendum to this storyline that I'll bring up at the end okay. with Bethany and with Rhodey, but I'll save that for later. It's interesting because, you know, it's one of those things that in modern, again, in modern times, especially with the SMWs, they want to complain how, well, why did they, this character was originally white. Why'd they have to make him black? And I just assumed that the Don Cheadle character was white in the comics. And they, they did, I just assumed that, and now I'm reading this, and I'm like, oh, he really was black. Yeah. He started out black. No wonder nobody complained. Because Rhodey's a badass. That's why nobody complains. He's awesome in the <laughs> comic, and he's great in the movies. I'm like maybe a third of the way through, mm-hmm. and you can already see that the drinking... Like, well, actually, in the very first issue, the, the stewardess is like, I mean, flight attendant yes. is like, oh, wow, you sure you want a fourth martini? And then he's drinking the champagne and yep. Beth is like, oh, more champagne. Are you sure? Maybe we should go back and do something else. Wink, wink. <laughs> the drinking starts out as a punchline. Yeah. There's one scene in the first couple of the, think of the first issue where he's like, oh, I shouldn't have had that fourth martini. Right. And you're like, ha, 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 ha. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's how alcoholism is. It starts out funny. Then ends up leaving a lot. Vegas. It's interesting. This is going to become the recovering alcoholic episode. (laughs) Here's the thing about drinking, and this is famous in alcoholic circles. Mm -hmm. Not only is it a is it a punchline, and not only is it a oh I just you know this is no big deal to the person doing the drinking. It's a punchline to everybody else, and nobody wants the fun playboy swinging drinker to stop drinking. Yeah, because he ceases to be fun. Yep. All right. So anyway, so we start to see that the drinking might be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the casino is getting robbed. Yeah. Hey, this Whiplash guy, that's Mickey Rourke, right? The Mickey Rourke character of Whiplash is a combination of Whiplash and the Crimson Dynamo, which is oh. why at the end of the second movie, he's got a suit of armor on. It was like fan service to all those guys that went, no, <laughs> that's the Crimson <laughs> Dynamo. But the, one of the beauties of Iron Man is his knock-around guy bad guys. They were just ridiculous bloodthirsty thugs in costumes. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't struggling with their humanity. No. (laughs) (laughs) But they do find out uh, while they're battling. And this is is great because it's a great fight scene. Mm -hmm. But then you find out that it's just Justin Hammer conducting experiments. Yeah. Right? Pulling the strings. Trying to find the weakness. Yep. Um, so yeah, he meets the ambassador at the UN. Like the ambassador is like a little girl. He loves Iron Man so much. Mm. <laughs> you are to be signing this autograph for my niece. 
It's like, what's your niece's name? Uh, Sergi. It's like when you met Adam Carolla. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so while the ambassador is giving some kind of speech, Iron Man's that thing where he shoots lasers out of his... It's a repulsor blast. It's like a reverse magnetic charge. It goes off. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Like they say throughout these issues, holy shit. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So now Iron Man's like, I got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. I got to figure who's controlling my suit because they just killed a guy with my suit. And mm-hmm. he feels really bad about that. Yeah, that adds stress. I mean, think about it. He blames himself, even though he didn't do it. But still, he's the cause for why that guy died. So there again, there's more stress to add to his character. So he's now got that on his conscience. Mm-hmm. And the police confiscate his armor and he drinks some more. <laughs> And he's always throwing down, he's always breaking things. And then he shows up at Avengers Mansion or whatever, Mm -hmm. where Captain America has taken over leadership of the Avengers. Yeah. And then Captain America teaches Tony Stark how to fight. Right. A little time compression there, but yeah. (laughs) If this had made it in the movie, that would have been a montage with like Eye of the Tiger or something. Mm Mm-hmm. So he goes and sees wavy, golden-haired Scott Lang. How does the shock going from movies to comics grab you? Because that's not Paul Rudd. At first, it is a little bit jarring because it's like these guys are so clearly from the 70s. And that look is not the masculine look anymore. I mean, if you see somebody on the street that looks like this, you're like, hey, man, where's your Camaro? And then Ant-Man's able to go into the prison to get one of the bad guys to tell him where Justin Hammer is hanging out. Mm Mm-hmm. It's somewhere near Monaco. So they fly to Monaco, and in order to figure out where Justin Hammer might be, they actually call the they call Princess Grace, who apparently Tony Stark is good friends with. Yep. <laughs> Rhodey throws a fish tank through the wall. They destroy a hot dog stand near the beach and get captured by an army of bad guys. But they make the mistake of not capturing Rhodey. I love the fact that a lot of his supporting cast, none of them get wasted. They all play integral parts into the story. Yes. Okay, so Iron Man gets captured, taken to Justin Hammer's villa, and it's pretty awesome because Iron Man escapes because they make the mistake of leaving only one guard. Mm. They underestimated Tony Stark. So at this point, Justin Hammer doesn't even know that Tony Stark is Iron Man. Because otherwise, he would have given him more bodyguards. Right. And he tries to escape. He tries to go over the wall. But he figures out it's just the world's biggest pontoon boat. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which is pretty cool. A classic Bond villain. Yes. (laughs) So anyway, Nick Fury and Beth Cabe show up to save the day. Except Justin Hammer just has nearby (laughs) like a dozen bad guys. Every knockaround guy. (laughs) <laughs> who's appeared in Iron Man. He's roped him into being there at, th- at that point in time. This is pretty awesome. That is one of the best all-out fight scenes ever. It's like an eight-page fight scene. Yes. Which I read in Blacklight last night. <laughs> <laughs> and then Justin Hammer tries to turn the boat into a flying boat, like a, sort of a hovercraft or mm, something, mm-hmm. and uh, heads for heads for international waters, but then Iron Man destroys the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But he saves the professor. Yeah. The guy that built the machine that knew how to get his um, armor yeah. to manipulate his armor. Then the worst happens. Iron Man's like, save the day, save the world, saved everything. But then he walks out of the building and there's <laughs> a crowd gathered around. The little girl drops her dolly. 
Yep. Iron Man picks it up and says, here's your dolly, little girl. And the little girl screams, don't let him hurt me. Don't let him hurt me. He killed that nice fat man on the TV. I saw it. That is classic Marvel abuse for the superheroes. So that really sends him over the edge. Mm-hmm. Just, just like this episode, I came into this story at the end, too, because... A friend of mine had some comics, and I was reading his Iron Man comic, and he's like, you can have that. It's dumb. Nothing happens. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm like, all right, you know, and then <laughs> over the years, I managed to piece together the uh, the backstory for it. So you started with Demon in a Bottle. Yep. Yeah, because that's the one. If you haven't already read the previous seven or eight issues, mm-hmm. Demon in a Bottle is just like, what is, you know, what is this, a public service announcement? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's kind of a heavy-handed, preachy standalone if, you, if you're not familiar with the whole storyline. Also, if you're a kid who has not yet realized that he has a drinking problem, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're a six, 17-year-old kid, you're probably like, what's the problem? Just let the man have a drink. That's right. My God. So here's the thing. If you're a 17-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid, in my case, 18, 19 years old, mm-hmm. and I went to college and did college things, and one of my high school friends, Don, you remember Don? Yeah. Came to one of the college parties when I was a freshman and just saw that I was I was doing things that I hadn't done in high school. <laughs> you experimented in college? Is that what like? Ah, <laughs> uh, Yeah. <laughs> And she actually like pulled me aside and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean what I'm doing? I'm having some drinks. And like, she's like, this isn't you. I don't know who this is. And like this other guy walks up and he goes, you don't understand what it's like here <laughs> at this place. <laughs> He's like the pressures and the every day and the homework and the studying and the exams and the, and the laboratories and the, the lack of social life. <laughs> and the, mm-hmm. he's like, you just don't get it. He's letting loose and relaxing. And she's like, well, he did. He was under plenty of pressure in high school and he didn't do this. And like, so at that age, I don't see how you get it. You yeah. know, I don't know how you go to a college kid and be like, yeah, I get it. Drinking, drinking's fun. It's a way to relax. It's, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a cool, you know, whatever. We all like a good scotch now and then. Right. But you know, you can't let it take over everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't let it, you know, have you push the people you love away. Right. You can't have you shirk your responsibilities. You know, the kid's going to be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So yeah. I get it. If you read this comic as a kid, mm-hmm. I don't see how you get it. This is an adult story. I think that's why he gave it to me. This whole uh, issue 128 is how how he comes to terms with the fact that he's not Tony Stark and he's not Iron Man. He's uh, Tony Man or Iron Stark. I don't know. <laughs> and um, just the whole scene where Beth comes and says, you know, let me help you because mm-hmm. you're killing yourself. Um, and he finally breaks down and, and accepts her help. Sort of reminds me of when Spider-Man at the at the on the last page of the last uh, Spider-Man issue that we right. that we went over. The girl's getting ready to leave, yeah, and Mary Jane. at the last minute stops and turns turns around. You know, it's yeah. like I'll help you. Um, what I can't tell from this is like he is he just off the wagon? I mean, is he on the wagon forever, or is he just like getting control of it? No, well, for a long time. But in, like I said, in, in, in classic Marvel fashion, though, and, and their love of abusing the characters, two things happen after this storyline. One is, after everything that he goes through with Beth, it turns out 
her husband isn't really dead. Oh. And he has to help her rescue her husband. So oh. here's the so he, his 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 choice is I have to help the woman that I love rescue the man she loves. Like how how sucky is that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you got to do the right yeah. thing, you know. And he does. And then Tony backslides, gets back on the bottle again, and Rhodey is like, "You know what? Uh somebody has to be Iron Man." So while uh. while Tony is down in the dumps and then eventually recovering, Rhodey takes over as, as Iron Man. So the idea of Don Cheadle in these movies being War Machine isn't new. It, it happens later on. So, yeah, one more thing that gets drawn from the comics. That's so cool. It's not like, and they lived happily ever after, like an episode of the Golden Girls or something, where right. it, it's some it, it's done after the story. It, it comes back on him quite a bit. So I, for the listeners, I, I would say that of all the story arcs we've reviewed so far, this one, if you like the movies, you will recognize the movies in this one more than any of the story arcs that we've looked at so far. This is probably the most accessible. This story has everything on top of a more on top of this moral message and on top of the reality of alcoholism it's got everything it's got superheroes it's got bad guys it's got james bond elements it's got everything you could possibly want in a story in in eight issues you've been listening to we've got issues we've got issues is written and produced by paul schultz and steve vinson Copyright Big Broccoli Studios. Music by Eric Fulmer. For more by Big Broccoli Studios, go to www.bigbroccolistudios.com.